0: pray. Heavenly Father, as we come on this Easter Festival morning, one more time we are praying that, uh, that you give to us the spirit of your risen Son, that whatever stones block the entry into our lives, that you would roll them away, even as your Father rolled those stones away some 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm <coughs> start by asking you a few questions this morning just for you to think about. My first question is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes so much of you or because at the cost of his son he enables you to enjoy making much of him? may seem like a trick question. Here's another. Does your happiness hang on seeing the cross of Christ as a witness to your worth or as a way to enjoy God's worth forever? One more question, is God's glory in Christ the foundation of all of your happiness, all of your gladness? The sad thing is, most people, I think, would probably answer those questions incorrectly. That's because you and I today live in a man-centered world where we have this kind of man-centered view of what love is all about. This man-centered view of what love is all about is permeated not only our culture but it's even permeated our churches. From the time our kids are little, when they're able to toddle, we spend a lot of time teaching our children that feeling loved means that we have to make as much over them as possible. Hence the term today, helicopter parents. We've got to make them feel good all the time. We have built whole educational philosophies around this view of love. I mean, most modern people today can hardly even imagine an alternate understanding of feeling loved other than that somebody makes makes much of me. In fact, I, I've even had people say to me, you know, if you don't make a lot over me, if you don't make over me, Pastor, you probably don't really love me. But you know, when you apply that kind of definition to the love of God, it weakens God's worth. It undermines his goodness and it steals from Our final satisfaction. If the enjoyment of God Himself is not the final and the best gift of love, then God is not your greatest treasure. His self giving is not the highest mercy. The gospel is not the good news that sinners may enjoy their Maker. Christ did not suffer to bring us to God, and our souls must look beyond Him for satisfaction. See, we are willing to be God centered. And in fact, you know, just by the very fact that more people show up on Christmas and Easter says, you know, how God-centered we are. But we are willing to be God-centered sometimes only as long as God seems to be us-centered or man-centered. We are willing to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ as long as the cross proves our worth to him. That's why on the screen you're going to see one of my favorite quotes. It's a quote from John Piper. He's a pastor up in the Minneapolis area, he's written a number of books, but I love this quote. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. I mean let that kind of roll around in your brain for a while. That God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. I start with this verse because it is so important for what I see happening in the reading that Nancy shared with you already today. I see Paul proclaiming some good news that the resurrection of Jesus satisfies six of our deepest needs. It satisfies six of our deepest longings. But in doing this, He's not putting us at the center. He's putting Jesus at the center. He is putting God who raised him at the center. This day is not about how good we feel. I already had a phone call this morning from a friend in another church uh, who said after church they went out and sat at McDonald's and they saw some people that they'd seen at the sunrise service. And they said all they talked about was the church service. They talked about how cold it was, they talked about how the organ, sorry Gwen, by the way Gwen's back in the balcony, how how loud the organ was, how dismal the singing was, but they said they never ever talked about Jesus. It was all about them. They were not well taken care of, so Easter Sunday was of no importance. Well, my prayer this Easter morning is that we'd all feel these six longings and that God would somehow become glorified in us when we understand, you know, when we're most satisfied in what he has done for us. I believe that these six longings are rooted in the heart of every last person here today and that in, in, in doing these things, you'll be satisfied in him and he'll be glorified in you. Now, I did not make these six things up. Uh, I I didn't get them out of a Cracker Jack box. Uh, I didn't get them out of some book like Six Happy Thoughts for an Easter Sunday Service. I got them straight out of the Bible. They come right straight from what Nancy read to you before from 1 Corinthians 15. Because he talks, Paul says, our faith, our Easter faith, our reason for even being here today would be completely in shambles If Christ did not rise from the dead. But in that last verse that she read, verse 20, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So I want to very quickly look at these six things that we ought to be satisfied in, not to make us happy, but that so God would be glorified. Here's the very first one. We are forgiven of our sins. I don't know about you, but every time I hear that, I could just stand up and give God a standing ovation. I mean, verse 17, instead of saying negatively that we are not still in our sins, you and I this morning can say positively that because of the resurrection of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Now, I put this first, and I think it's because this is the longing of our hearts, because If God holds our sins against us, and believe me, this is a collection of big sinners here this morning, then there is no hope of anything else from God. The foundation of every other blessing that you would expect to come from God would not happen if he does not first accept you and forgive you of your sins. I mean, how is the resurrection connected to your forgiveness? I mean, isn't it the death of Jesus that takes away your sins? Because he bore your sins and took our judgment? Well, the answer to that is yes. But the connection with the resurrection is very important. In the book of Romans, it says he was handed over to death on account of our transgression, and he was raised on account of our justification. This means that by Jesus' death on the cross, which we commemorated on this Good Friday, he paid the penalty for every last single sin, past, present, and future. Every evil, wicked, bad, and nasty thing that you have ever done and will continue to do. He purchased our acquittal. That's why I have this tie on an Easter of all things that says, paid in full. That Greek word, which is an accounting term, to that which means paid in full. The debt has been paid. Our sins are forgiven. And that death of Jesus on a cross like that was so complete and the work of our justification so decisive that God chose to raise Jesus to validate our forgiveness, to vindicate his son's righteousness, and to celebrate that work of closing that gap between us and God. I mean, every last person here today, from me all the way to the last person in the back, needs forgiveness. And I'd suggest to you that deep inside, even when we don't think about it, we long to be forgiven. We long to be accepted by God. We fear the alienation of our guilt. But Paul says that because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we are no longer in our sins. I think that's the first and most basic longing of our hearts. And when we understand what God has done for us, we need to give God the glory for that. Here's the second thing. Our faith is well-founded. Verse 14, instead of saying negatively that our faith is not in vain, we could positively say that because of the resurrection, our faith is well-founded. Or more personally, because of the resurrection, there is somebody that we can absolutely, positively trust at all times and in all places. Again, I think in the hearts of everybody that are here this morning, including myself, is a longing to have someone in your life that you can count on through thick and thin. Somebody who is absolutely trustworthy. Someone who, if you put your faith in this person, it would not be in vain. It's a person who would not let you down. That person would always be there for you. Now, many of you have put all that faith in a human being. Now, I'm not saying you should not be looking for someone you can trust in a marriage relationship or in a family relationship or a church relationship. But do you remember I said we are all sinners, which means from time to time we will let one another down. So we have that longing. We have that longing because this is really why God created us. This is what we were made for. If you want to put it another way, God wired us up this way. God put man and woman into the Garden of Eden to glorify God by trusting him for everything they needed. And that need has never changed in spite of our sin. And now that we're no longer in our sins, the longing too is satisfied by the resurrection of Jesus. The death of Jesus proves his love for us, and the resurrection proves his power over every enemy in life. So there is someone you can always count on, somebody you can always trust in, somebody who is absolutely trustworthy, who will never, ever let you down. Jesus is alive to be trusted. Here's the third thing. The apostles preach what is true. At the sunrise service this morning, I said, I don't want to go out of this life someday, and and think that I wasted my entire time preaching about a lie. That would be terrible. But I'm not worried about it, because the apostles preach what is true, and I try my very best to preach what the apostles have laid down in Scripture. See, in verse 15, instead of saying negatively that the apostles are, are not false witnesses about the work of God, we can say positively that because of the resurrection... The apostles preach what is true. The apostles preach the absolute, 100% pure truth. Now, sadly, in our society today, our young people, our young people are being taught something different. And many of us probably were taught the same as well. And what we've been taught is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That there is no such thing that is true all the time Everywhere, whether people know it or like it. I hear it all too often. Well, Pastor, if that's what you want to believe, good for you. But that's not what I believe. In other words, they don't accept anything as absolute truth. I'll give you an example. It would be a rare teenager today who would have the guts and the independence to stand up in a high school health class, for example, to say, premarital sex is wrong, wrong for everybody, not just for those people who think it's wrong. It would be an adult who would have the guts and the independence to say that. See, without the conviction that there are absolutes that can be shared and made the basis for our society, the only end will be some form of anarchy where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. That's actually right from the Bible. It says, and people did what was right in their own eyes. Therefore, the need for truth, the need for truth is a deep need of the human soul. It's a deep need of our society. And friends, I don't know if you remember what Jesus said when he came into this world. It was one of those great I am's. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he rose from the grave to vindicate his claim. I mean, Jesus has the right to tell us whatever is absolutely true, because in the resurrection, God proved him to be absolutely true. I'm combining number four and five because it just kind of works out that way. And because I started out with six and couldn't think of six. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. Uh, But it kind of fits together. Four and five really are, we are to be envied. Verse 19, instead of saying negatively that we are not to be pitied, I think today we can positively say that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we ought to be envied. We ought to be envied. I mean, our preaching is not in vain. It is full, it's meaningful, it's valid, it's valuable, it's significant, whatever word you want to put it in there. If Christ is not raised, then living for Jesus, doing what Jesus says, Following Jesus' will is a great big delusion. And if it's a great big delusion, then we ought to be pitied like some insane person who lives a whole life full of hallucinations. But since Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's alive, he reigns as king forever, all of our obedience, all of our love, all of our self-denial is not to be pitied, but rather it ought to be positively enviable we ought to be living in such a way that people actually wanted what we have we're to be living in such, such a way that people come up to us in the office or the workplace or wherever and say you're different what gives and then you have the opportunity to say what gives is he lives This slight momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul said, you know, we've got this life that ought to be envied. It might be rough for a while, but it gets better at the end. And there is in every one of us that longing that our lives are well spent, that our lives actually count for something, that there's significance in our life, that there's usefulness in our life, that we don't come to an end someday and say, Man, this life was all futile. This life was all vain. It was empty or pointless. Paul knows this. That's why he wrote an entire, he ends this whole chapter that Nancy read out of this morning with words about the resurrection. If you read a little bit further in chapter 15, down to 58, it says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here's the last one, number six. Those who have fallen asleep are alive. Those who have fallen asleep are alive. At sunrise service, I I mentioned that the Greek term for falling asleep is koimea. And from koimea, we also get another Greek word, komoteria, which is where we get the English word Cemetery. It was initially a Christian word. This is where Christians took their friends and they put them in the sleeping place, the Comotaria. Now, why would they call it that? Well, let me ask you this question: When you go to sleep at night, what do you expect to do? Wake up, huh? I hope you do. Now, I realize, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, if I, you know. (laughs) That whole thing. But I expect to wake up when I get up in the morning. That's, they buried their fellow believers because they hoped that and, and knew that they would wake up someday at the final resurrection. I, I think there's a longing in the midst of all of our hearts, too. That we will live together in joy. That we will not come to an empty end after a full and valued life. That we would just end up being a zero or worse that we would end up being damned forever. Paul says in verse 18 that because Christ raised those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died in the faith, they have not perished. Or to put it in a more positive way, they are alive. They will live forever. They live the way Jesus lives. They will enter into the joy of their master. Friends, the greatest news in all the world is that God and his son are most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. How's your satisfaction level today? Are you satisfied with Jesus? And to make sure that true God raised his son Jesus from the dead to reign forevermore. And see, in reigning in raising Jesus from the dead, he gave us forgiveness and glorified. Jesus as the all sufficient forgiver. He gave us a friend that we can count on as the glorified Jesus as utterly reliable. He gave us guidance and unchanging truth and glorified Jesus as the absolute foundation for truth and righteousness. He gave us a life that is not pitiable, but it ought to be enviable, a ministry that's not in vain, but a ministry that ought to be fruitful. And glorified Jesus as the source and goal of all life and of all ministry. And he gave us everlasting joy that will not be ended by death. Instead, he has given us eternal life. Where we will enjoy Jesus, who is the author of life. The victory over death and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There's a great statement from scripture that I end with. It says, worthy is the lamb that was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen.